I invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel. The Gospel reading is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 through to verse 20. So if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church and if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be heated. Father, we come before you and you are great. While we were still your enemy, you came to this earth, you paid the price for us, you loved us. And you've called us to love our neighbors as yourselves. So as I pray, as we look at your word, that we would hear and obey and truly love those you've put in our lives. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. We're coming up on the fall festival in the Jewish calendar. Next week we have, or actually technically this week, since it's a Sunday through Saturday week, uh, we have Rosh Hashanah, the new year, and then we have 10 days later, we have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And following that, we have Shukot. And uh, finally, we have um, Shimchat Torah. Interestingly enough, the Anglican Church and several hundred million Christians around the world have taken the tradition of reading scripture in a cycle. So at the end of, of uh, Shukot, you have the celebration of the Torah where you finish one year cycle and then you start over. Interestingly enough, the 10 days from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur are known as uh, the days of awe, but they're also sometimes called the, the days of confession or forgiveness. And 
our liturgy today. Somehow, mysteriously, somebody came along and put it together so that they fit the reading of scripture and the holidays that we are about to celebrate. Uh, very mysterious that. Um, but three years from now, we'll have the same holidays and we'll have the same readings and it'll be great because we'll have to be reminded over and over and over again how to live our lives. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. On the one hand, I would say this is not an innovative passage. We actually have texts that go back to the Second Temple period that say basically the same thing. There were some people who were out in the desert, in a place called Qumran, and they found a bunch of scrolls. One of them is called 1QS, which is the, um, the community rules of the local village that lived there. Um, and in these rules, it says, let no man address his companion with anger or ill temper or obduracy, or with envy prompted by the spirit of wickedness. Let him not hate him because of his uncircumcised heart, the person who is his brother, but causing him trouble. But let him rebuke him on the same day, lest he incur guilt because of him. And furthermore, let no man accuse his companion before the congregation without having admonished him in the presence of witnesses. This is still actually a practice today. If you have uh, two Jewish people who are in communion with one another, uh, often they will try to work things out as quickly as possible. They'll, they'll go at it, they'll argue, perhaps they'll discuss uh, the issue that they have with each other, and then they bring it to a court or to friends or witnesses, and they try to fix the matter as quickly as possible. But who is talking here? Jesus. And who is he talking to? The disciples. The people. And one of my questions is, this is a very difficult subject matter for most Christians. Intra-church discipline. And in fact, the, what surrounds the passage is actually uh, the parable of the lost sheep, which is about God's forgiveness, and Peter coming to Jesus and saying, how many times do I have to forgive someone? So both intra-church discipline and forgiveness are both extremely hard topics to address. And in fact, uh, this is actually part one of a two-part sermon. Um, and next week we will talk about uh, forgiveness. But what is our responsibility? Not the pastor's responsibility, not the priest's responsibility, not, not the church leadership. What is our responsibility? Let's go back briefly to Ezekiel 33. 
you have a people group. At first, it's not clear who this people group is, similar to some of the parables. It's a people group, a watchman, an enemy. Eventually, by the time you get to the end of the section, verses 10 and 11, we learn that one of these people groups would be the people of Israel. The watchman might be Ezekiel. And the enemy, well, you have uh, the Assyrians coming in. Um, but you have this group of people that need someone on their walls. What is his job? Watch. That is the first job he has, is to watch. Look out. Don't fall asleep. Don't step back and relax. Watch. Now, Rosh Hashanah has another name, which is Yom HaTruah, Feast of the Trumpets. Interestingly, the watchman has another job. As they are watching, as they are continuously watching, and they look out and they see an enemy, what do they do? They sound the alarm. They pick up the trumpet by their side and they blast it out so that all can hear. Why? Why would they blast the trumpet so that everyone could hear? What's the purpose of that? To warn the people. And in warning the people that the people have a choice. Now, as we learn that the people actually have had a choice, they've chosen to sin. And if they continue to choose to sin, even if you don't have a watchman, even if he doesn't warn, they've actually caused their own downfall. But the watchman is there to warn. And in fact, we have, um, I like the narrative passages of Scripture. I find them to be a great example of how God and people work. And in, in um, Chronicles, you have the story about this great empire that is about to conquer the whole world. They have such a massive army that they're going to conquer the world. The Assyrians? No. The Babylonians? No. The Persians? No. They're from down south, below Egypt. Why have we never heard of this empire before? Well, if you go, uh, it's about a one-day walking journey. If you go out Jerusalem's gate and walk downhill for about 20-some miles, 33, 34 kilometers, you will find a uh, nice field. It's called Merisha. It's beautiful. Uh, you have lots of fancy architecture on the one hand that's um, from the Roman period. On the other side, you have these caves that are really cool to look at. And in this field, you have a king who heard a warning and stood up and told his people 
confess, turn. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? Jehoshaphat. He stood up, and with his army, which was much smaller than the enemies, he confessed to God, and they won. Now there's no empire there. And we think to ourselves, you know what? In history, you have these great, amazing, massive empires, the Assyrian army. Surely, Israel and Judah could not ever stop the Assyrian army. Yeah. If you're human, and all you have are the abilities that humans have, you are correct. They could not stand against that army. But there is the possibility... Not that it happened, not that we necessarily believe in alternate histories, but there is the possibility that if they had turned to God and confessed, we would not know who the Assyrian Empire is. I mean, maybe like 3% of the population who is super interested in history and archaeology and, and geography would know a little bit about these people, like me. Uh, this is something that I like. But most people would be like, who are they? I've never heard of them. Because God could have defeated them. And here you have this warning to Ezekiel. And in fact, in some ways, the warning seems to come a little bit late. (laughs) Israel is already defeated. Uh, The people are in exile. But what is the responsibility of this watchman? to warn, to blast on the trumpet so that the people in the city, the people who hear, wherever they might be, many of them now in exile, would know they would have a choice to make. This is our responsibility. This is my responsibility. I am to be a watchman on the walls. I am supposed to look out. And when I see problems coming, I am to sound the alarm. Let's go back to Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. You have gained a brother or a sister. What is the point of going to your brother or sister? To bring them back to God and to the church. That is the point. Now, generally speaking, there are two kinds of people in the church. People like me. Conflict averse. I don't want to cause any problems. I don't want to go to talk to someone. I'm extremely introverted. You know, going and talking to people, it's difficult for me. I don't necessarily enjoy large parties, lots of people, 
or going to someone and saying, hey, I've noticed that you have a problem in your life. Um, you might want to fix it. And then there's the other kind of person who goes around all over the place and, oh, they know everything that's wrong with everybody. And they will let everybody know what's wrong with them. These are the two different kinds of people. I can't talk much about the second because I am not that person. Uh, both have their problems. Because in the end, what do we want to do? Win back the person that we are talking with. That is the point. So you can't go out and gossip about someone. Oh, this person, like, have you heard how much they lie about other people? You know, maybe you and I should have a conversation right now about what gossip is, <laughs> right? Um, that perhaps should be one of the responses because if you let it go, conflict will grow in your church. You will have difficulties. You will have conflict. You will have people that walk away from God. This is in Ezekiel. Son of man, say to the Israelites, this is what you are saying. Our offenses and sins weigh us down, and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? This is the person you're talking to. They are wasting away. They are dying because they have walked away from God. That is who you're talking to, and you want to bring them back into the fold. Now, usually during the days of awe, the, the days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, uh, you go to people you have sinned against, and you confess your own problems to them, and that is definitively needed. But this is actually saying if someone is sinning against you, Go to them. Point it out. Help them. Help them walk closer to God. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. This is very important. You've talked to the person face-to-face. -face. You can't agree. You can't figure out how to fix the conflict. The problem that is in their life, probably theirs, maybe not. So you bring two or three witnesses in, and again, nothing new. Jesus isn't giving new, innovative concepts. In fact, everything that I will preach today probably all of you know to one degree or another. It's not a matter of knowing. It's a matter of figuring out how to do something in love and then acting it out. 
But as an example of this not being in a new thing, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Right? This is, to some degree, just a useful practice to put into your everyday life. Hopefully it's not every day, uh, but the times when it comes up where you have to confront someone. Why do you bring two or three witnesses? Well, first of all, to help the person you're talking to understand that the problem is real. That there's a real problem. What are other reasons to bring two or three witnesses, though? Well, I've actually had to deal with a couple intra-church disciplinary problems that have come up. And one thing that you notice is that the person going to their brother or sister often has their own problems. You see, conflict is rarely one-sided. So, in, uh, it continues, if you have a malicious witness, somebody that is witnessing incorrectly, this is also a problem. Right? You want to bring people to the meeting and you want them to speak the truth. You want them to speak the truth to the person that you are trying to bring back to God and you want them to speak the truth to me because I might need to turn to God myself. I might need to change how I think. Because sometimes people who offend us aren't actually sinning. They're just doing something in a way that I don't understand. Sometimes they are sinning. And this is a very important time to go into discipline. But sometimes it's just some kind of misunderstanding. And you get together and you have your witnesses. And if you're a witness, by the way, speak the truth in love just as much as the person bringing the offense in the first place. Because it is your job then to declare the truth. Let's look into it. How can we serve each other in love? How can we confess to one another our sins? How can we turn to God? So it's a very important job as a witness as well. If they refuse to listen, then you tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Outside of the community. But who is talking here? There we go, yes, Jesus, right? 
What did Jesus do? He eats with the tax collectors. Right? He's telling them, treat them as if they're a pagan or a tax collector. They are outside of your community. Yes. Why? Why are they outside of your community? Well, in part, because if you leave them in your community, you will have troubles. There will be fights, arguments, splitting of the church. But also, when we confess before God and before man, it is a very sober time because we have sinned against God and against our fellow man in thought and then word and then deed, in the things we have done and in the things we have not done. But it is also a time of joy because if you do not confess to your God, you will waste away. You will die inside. And so when you come to God, when you confess, rejoice. Just as it says here, when the shepherd brings back that one sheep, all of heaven rejoices. That's the parable that just was spoken by Jesus. All of heaven rejoices when that one sheep comes back into the fold. So in our confession, we rejoice because we can walk with God and we can walk with our fellow man. And so sometimes you do have to bring them outside of the community. Let them learn that unfortunately, as we sang earlier, our God is holy. He wants a holy people. And the holy people aren't divided, aren't fighting, aren't gossiping, aren't lying about one another. Holy people are united, together, serving, worshiping, listening, praying. And it continues, truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, you may have heard many different um, sermons on this or teachings on it. I would actually take uh, a very non-spiritual view of it, if you will. It's pretty simple, in my opinion. You're making choices. What is a binding agreement? It's an agreement that you have between multiple people about something. And even I read from the uh, community scroll earlier, from uh, the Qumran scrolls, and uh, there were certain agreements. If you do something and you're out of the community, you're out of the community for a time. 
And in fact, the early church also had this. If you were taken outside of the community, even if you repented and confessed and were brought back into the community of believers, you wouldn't actually have the Eucharist meal with your church until the Easter vigil service, when you renew your baptismal vows. That is a consequence. It's a binding agreement between the parties. There's a consequence for what happened. And what's interesting is the agreement that we make here on earth, God will also listen to. So when you take somebody out of your community, God will agree with it. And more importantly, when you bring someone back into your community because you've won back your brother or sister and you loose the bonds, the binding agreements that you have or the binds that you have, God will agree with that too. You now have won back the one who is lost and there is joy in heaven for the one who is lost. And again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Again, let's leave it in its context. Intra-church discipline and forgiveness. There is a, um, in Pirkei Avot, uh, the, the Shengi of the Fathers, there's a um, quote that says, where two or three um, are studying the Torah together, uh, the Shekhinah of God will be there in their midst. It's a different context. Here, we have uh, not the studying of Scripture per se, but the reunion of the church Forgiveness of each other. Why do we have 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? On Yom Kippur, we come before our God and we say, I have sinned against you, Almighty Holy God. I confess to you, my Lord, my Savior that I have sinned. But we're commanded to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might. Part of that is loving our neighbor as ourself. We cannot come before God and say, I love you, God. You are my best pal. If we turn to the person sitting next to us and we go, this person. They can't work hard. They just go out and talk to people all day. They go out on the street and they talk to people. They don't do their job that they're supposed to do. They're just like talking about the gospel or something to random strangers. Why can't they do the job that they're supposed to do? Meanwhile, this person is like, that person just works all day, like in the kitchen cleaning dishes. Why can't they go out and teach people about God? 
And you have this disagreement among your brothers because neither of you can understand what the other person is doing even though both of you are serving God. But you're arguing amongst yourself, you're bickering and you're creating tension. Do you really think you can come before God and say, hey, buddy, I love you? No, you can't. Which is why 10 days from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, the Jewish people will take their time, think about who they have sinned against, go to that person, bring them gifts, not to appease them, but because in Nehemiah it says to bring gifts to your uh, brothers and sisters of, of sweet things and confess. And they confess to their brothers and sisters, to their family, to their parents, to their siblings, to their neighbors, to, their, uh, to the people at their work. So that when they come to Yom Kippur, when they come before God, they can know that they love God and that God loves them. I mean, God will love them, but there is judgment which we read about in Ezekiel, if someone hears the warning and they go on their way and they die by the sword, their guilt will be upon them. But as watchmen, if we do not go to them and say, listen, turn to God, I will walk with you on this journey. I will listen to those around me who are the witnesses so that we can walk together closer to God. If we are not those watchmen, if we do not sound the alarm, if we do not blow the trumpet, not saying to go out and blow the trumpet all the time, I'm saying go out and talk to people, help them, serve them, if somebody is falling away from God, bring them back. Because otherwise, we also incur guilt. But God, in the unity of the church, is there. And he's there if you have to make the judgment to send someone outside of the church. And that's difficult. And he's there when you bring someone back into the church. And you can rejoice. All of us, the church, the members, brothers and sisters, and God and the angels in heaven will rejoice with us. We read Psalm 119, which is about the law of the Lord and how good it is. What is the fulfillment of the law? Love. So as we go, love. Because otherwise, you will just be that person that knows everything wrong with everybody else.
You'll be like, hey, you did something wrong. Hey, you did something wrong. Hey, why can't you get better at this? And you'll actually be the one dividing the church. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And we have this example. Our offenses and sins weigh us down and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.